in the night Your heart fills with dread Probably a murderer who wants you dead It could be a ghost, a demon or worse Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse It's hopeless, you're doomed You'd call a priest if you could You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood I'm gonna kill you Well, welcome once again to another edition of Freaky Friday Where we tell your odd but true stories My story sommelier Christie's here <laughs> With another selection, we've got a flight of stories for you today. <laughs> we take you on a ride. We're starting off kind of heavy. Yes. Starting There's, off heavy on this one. So We have uh, some intense ones. Yeah. We have a, a Bigfoot sighting. We do have a Bigfoot sighting where there's some uh, intense ones and then peppered in with some ones that bring a little more levity. So, Correct. you know, so it's not all just doom and gloom. Like a good... Wine pair or wine flight. You don't want to have all heavy. You have to have that's true a variety. So yes. we appreciate everybody that wrote your stories in. We uh, we love reading them and love sharing them even more. Mm-hmm. We're starting off with a red, which normally yes. you would start off with a white, but I've gone backwards. So <laughs> well, so I'm Christy. I'm Heather, and let's get freaky. This first one's from Kathy, and this is called "It Could Have Been Me." My sliding doors moment. It was New Year's Eve 2013, a Tuesday afternoon. Our local park in San Antonio, Texas, was a popular place for families, has a YMCA, and hikers and bikers utilize its shaded trails. My husband took the kids to the playground around lunchtime that day. I planned to go for a run that evening around 5 p.m., but got lazy and thought, it's New Year's Eve. I'm just going to relax. I count this as the most fateful decision of my life. I woke up New Year's Day to the news that a female jogger's body had been found at 5.36 p.m. the previous day, at that park, on the trail where I would have been, and the killer was still on the loose. Lauren Bump, age 24, was found by a couple and their young son who were looking for a picnic spot. She had been stabbed 27 times and was found face down in the dirt. Nothing like this had ever happened in our park. Everyone was on edge. The couple who found her body told the police they had seen a man acting strangely in the park 45 minutes prior, even joking with each other that he might be a serial rapist. The murderer was found and arrested a few days later. His name was Christian Batista, age 29. His roommate, who had just given Batista the 8-inch combat knife that he used in the stabbing as a Christmas gift, turned him into police. During the trial, Batista was described as weird and creepy by his own lawyer. He mumbled and gestured a lot, even blowing kisses and staring at women in the courtroom. A witness who encountered him that same day of the murder testified that his teeth were chipped a certain way. The four front teeth had cavities, pretty distinctive. It only took the jury 20 minutes to find him guilty and less than an hour to sentence him to life in prison. The victim, Lauren Bump, was a physician's assistant graduate student out of state and had come home for the holidays to visit her family. Her family members described her as generous and caring. The whole community showed support for her family. We attended a mile of silence for Lauren at the park a few days after her death. It began at the trailhead where balloons and flowers were placed. After her family said a few words, a large group of people, 
many like us who had never met her, walked a mile together on the trail, in silence. I told her brother through sobs, I never met Lauren, but I will never forget her. I couldn't bring myself to go back to the park for a year, and only if I was accompanied by my husband. I went to my doctor and asked him to put me back on antidepressants, which I had only been off of for a few months when this happened. My doctor said, You know she and her family were my patients. I cried again at how tragic this was and how interconnected we all are. I wrestled with the thought that I almost went to the park that day and would have been in the same spot at the same time as Lauren. After this, I took self-defense classes. A ton of local martial arts studios and gyms started offering classes geared towards runners in the wake of this murder. I would look at selfies I had taken prior to this. Me running in the park, alone, wearing my earbuds, blissfully unaware of the dangers around me, and would ask myself, what the hell were you thinking? It's because of Lauren that I changed a lot of my habits and will never forget what I learned from her tragedy. With time and newfound safety skills, I'm finally able to go out there on long walks alone, with Lauren on my mind at every turn. Thank you for reading and thank you for creating such a fabulous podcast that I truly look forward to every week. As a nurse who works for the school district, the dual stressors of the pandemic's effect on our children and the ever-present fear of school shootings, you could say my stress level has increased over the last few years, and your show provides me with an entertaining escape. Kathy. Well, this the crime itself is reminiscent of the White Rock mm-hmm. machete murder that we had up here in Dallas, where someone's just minding their own business, going for a run, and they're attacked senselessly, no provocation, no altercation. You know, it's not like you get into a fight or something. It's it's totally apropos of nothing. Yeah. And I think it's a really real feeling of if you were, I was ready to go out that day, mm-hmm. and then you didn't, that, that survivor's guilt is mm-hmm. really real. You're dealing with like post trauma, you know, where you say, well, now I can't go out there because I'm too afraid. And so I think that's doing the right thing, talking to your doctor and finding ways to cope with it. Absolutely. Medication, if necessary, therapy, easing your way back into it. You know, if your husband needs to accompany you at first, and then eventually now you're able to, to go alone. And like she said, her habits have changed a lot because of that. I mean, we've all gone running walking something where our attention isn't fully on on that we've got earbuds in we're listening to an audiobook a podcast whatever we're on our phone so you did nothing that we all haven't done neither did lauren mm-hmm. it's tragic it ended that way and yeah like you said i was thinking about survivor's guilt the whole time and you just start catastrophizing. Well, if that had been me, this is what would have happened. So even though you didn't actually experience it, it is a weird, almost PTSD that you experience because it could have been you. Very, very much reality, it could have been you. Yeah, I think it's a valid feeling to explore and sit in, mm-hmm. and but recognize you have it and not live your life under mm-hmm. that, but finding ways to deal with it, which it sounds like, Kathy, you are. So good on you for noticing that change in yourself that you couldn't go out anymore and seeking types of you know ways that you can move forward in that because that's definitely difficult. And bless her family mm. that, you know, 
coming together like that for the community and doing a mile of silence and just that's I mean, it's part of the grieving process and just bringing that awareness, attention and also memory of Mm -hmm. her. Because, again, like you said, just like Kathy was doing nothing wrong, going out all those times running. Lauren wasn't doing nothing wrong, going out all those Mm -hmm. times. running. You know, we should be able to freely go and run and exercise and enjoy the outside. Sadly, there are people like this who take advantage of that and take advantage of the, you know, the there's something about running by yourself. It's fine to run in packs and they have those, but I love to run by myself. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, just you and your feet hitting the pavement. And it's a shame that we get robbed of that when there's people like this mm-hmm. that make you afraid to do that. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sending that in, Kathy. This next one is from Molly and it is Shadow Ghost, Husband or Hat Man. You decide. Hi, ladies. First of all, just have to say how much I enjoy your show. I listen to a lot of podcasts, but yours is by far my favorite. And the first I recommend to anyone who asks for suggestions. Your mix of humor, detail, and genuine sincerity is the best of all worlds. So I should start with a bit of setup. My husband passed away unexpectedly in November of 2019. Our son was only seven months old at the time, so he doesn't remember him. However, as he's gotten older, especially in the last few months, he often talks about the things he and his dad do together. I just let him talk because that's his way of making him a part of his life. Anyway, back in February, my little hellion knocked the camera unit of the baby monitor off the wall while playing in his room. I set it on the windowsill until I could fix it, thus giving a different view than normal. That night as I put him to bed, he mentioned again how his dad reads him books. I smiled and died a little inside, and told him good night. Just before I went to bed, I checked the baby monitor screen, and I could swear on my life I saw my late husband's silhouette on the wall next to my son's bed. He had a very distinct and memorable silhouette. I looked at that screen for a full minute, freaking myself out, and then told myself I was being stupid and went to bed. It felt like I had just laid down when I heard my son crying. Not unique because he's yet to sleep through the night, and most nights I get up two or three times with him. So I go to his room and open the door, and there's my late husband's shadow figure now holding our son, right there in the middle of the room. My heart races, and I run towards them just to have them move past me out of the room and down the stairs. I'm running and screaming and chasing them as they fly out the front door. Now he's not my husband's shadow anymore, but a dark figure in a hat. Just as he looks back at me and laughs, I wake up in the hallway right by my front door. I was sweating and crying and shaking and beyond confused. I've never in my life experienced sleepwalking. I immediately go up to my son's room to check on him, and he's fast asleep. I am completely shook, y'all. I stare at my son for a few more minutes and then return to my room. I look at the monitor, and I swear to God, the shadow on the wall has changed, and no longer looks anything like my late husband. I don't know what happened. Obviously, it was a bad dream, likely brought on by my son's chatter about his dad. The sleepwalking could have been caused by the fact that I've gone nearly three years without sleeping through the night. But that still doesn't explain the shadow's shape or why it changed. At any rate, I ended up spending the night on my son's floor. The next day, I completely rearranged his room and haven't seen the figure since. I hope to God I never do. Thanks, ladies. Honestly, this experience has haunted me, and just being able to share with someone has been a weight off. Keep it creepy. 
Well, I don't have a kid, but I imagine any dream of your kid being kidnapped, snatched, anything like that feels 100% real and would launch you out of bed. It is a recurring nightmare I have. I haven't had it in a while, but when both kids were first born, I would have, especially with Simon, I would have dreams that we were out at a location and I couldn't find them. I think also because Simon was born during the pandemic, a lot of the dreams would be really crowded locations. So I would be already stressed out about that. And then I wouldn't be able to find him or it was like I set him down and couldn't get back to him. And they are terrifying. And you wake up and it sits with you like a lot of bad dreams for, you know, hours or days even. The baby monitor screen is the quickest way to have a heart attack. I have thought many times I have seen things on that. I've taken pictures. It looks like faces. You see all sorts of shit. But if you have a loved one, specifically your husband and your son's father, and you think you see that silhouette in there, that's different. It feels really real, I'm sure, because you're like, well, and she said his shadow was very distinct Mm -hmm. so if you think well nobody else has a hair like that Mm -hmm. or that's just a weird and who knows maybe that if your son says he talks to dad maybe it is like a guardian angel situation you've seen there's several tiktoks i've seen of people holding their baby and their baby looking off and like waving and smiling Mm -hmm. and laughing at just the air and it's horrifying (laughs) yeah so and a lot of people in the comments are like oh it's angels it's guardian angels it's a spirit guide whatever and so i think there's something to be said for that that you have that maybe we've had so many people write in and be like, you know, grandma was there, or grandpa was there mm-hmm. or something that if that's very traumatic, you know, dying unexpectedly and then not being really able to spend time with your son and wanting him to know you that there's there's nothing to say that that shadow wasn't it. Now, sounds like he didn't really pick the baby up, which is a good thing. Um, <laughs> no, but waking man- up in the hallway after you fell asleep in your bed is in and of itself terrifying. Oh, completely, yeah. So if the hat man is about, I suppose it's good that the husband's there, too, to be like, get out of here. No, I'm watching over him. So <laughs> They say kids are uh, closer to the veil, so perhaps there's something to be said for that. Well, this next one also involves a child. This is from Amanda, and it's called, That Time I Thought Pennywise Kidnapped My Son. Hello, wonderful ladies of Sinisterhood. I have a story, I think, while a little creepy, will give you both a laugh. A few years ago, I was working a lot of hours as a kitchen manager in a popular local restaurant. I was stressed out, overworked, understaffed, and exhausted. The worries of my job often kept me up at night, and I'd read to take my mind off of those things that can't be dealt with at 2 a.m. I was reading Stephen King's It. I'm not one that scares easily over fictional characters, so no biggie, right? Nope. Horrible idea looking back on it. I can't remember what chapter I had finished, but there was, of course, in true Pennywise fashion, mention of a balloon. A yellow one, to be exact. Most people who haven't read the book don't realize that the balloons are not all red as depicted in the movies. This is important. I awoke the next day, my one day off, to a flurry of texts from vendors, sales reps, my assistant manager, the executive chef, and the GM. Wanting to enjoy my daily cup of coffee in peace, I dealt with all their bullshit from my bed before getting up. As I changed my clothes, I realized I didn't hear my then eight-year-old son or husband moving around the house. I figured my husband had taken an early morning shift he had mentioned the night before. But where was my son? I stepped out of my bedroom and into the dining room. 
and I saw it, a yellow balloon, just gently floating around the room. I immediately broke out into a cold sweat, my stomach threatening to fall out of my asshole. I mean, holy shit, right? I panicked. I frantically ran to his room. Gone. No son. I called my husband, who was absolutely dumbfounded by my hysteria. He's with me. We went out so you could sleep in. Didn't you see my note? He asked. I practically shouted back at him. What note? He replied, I put it by the coffee pot because that's always your first stop every morning. I would have texted you, but you were up so late and I didn't want to wake you. Then I realized this balloon was from the party my son attended the day before. I hadn't seen it because I had covered a call out shift, missing the party, and he had gone to bed before I had gotten home. It was right then and there I knew three truths. One, Pennywise did not kidnap and eat my child. Two, it is fucking reckless to read Stephen King late at night. And three, my husband is amazing because he did not immediately laugh at me and brought home a bottle of wine and sent me to take a relaxing bath. And I'll leave everyone with some words of advice. Sleep and self-care are more important than we all realize. Keep it creepy. Man, if you walked out of your bedroom, <laughs> this is some empty, Christy silent shit right here. house, you see this balloon, no. I would have reacted the same way. I would have thought Tommy was pranking me. True. Tommy has pranked you with clowns before. So <laughs> Yeah, there's an ongoing clown prank with Tommy. Yes, the Lakewood clown. <laughs> he has a whole backstory. He lived in a murder house. It was terrifying. <laughs> but if... I walked out and he knew I'd been reading that and I saw this. Yeah, I'd be like, you little assholes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, when you're so sleep deprived and restaurant work is grueling and you haven't been sleeping and you've, you're have you stressed out, your brain doesn't go to the first logical answer all the time. No, not at all. It's it's oh, it's happening. Pennywise is here. <laughs> See, I conjured it. him. I conjured him by reading. I will say... Reading, it is fucking reckless to read Stephen King late at night or watch Stephen King late at night. So Tommy does both. Also, I will say the book, a million times scarier than the movie. So reading the book, it, and it's also like a thousand pages long. It's, uh, it's It hits different than the movies yeah. do. Ooh. Well, especially because the book, all the images are in your mind. Mm-hmm. Then you fall asleep with it in your mind and you wake up with it in your yeah. mind. And then in your kitchen yeah. and you're like, fuck. <laughs> Am I dreaming? Like yep. Well, thank you, Amanda. It sounds like you do have a wonderful husband who was like, <laughs> yes. oh, honey, it wasn't Pennywise. And wine? Please have a bath. And a bath? <laughs> Hell yeah. He's a keeper. He's a man. Well, this next one we have is from Sabrina, and the subject line is, my parents saw Bigfoot's backside, and you know I'm excited for a Bigfoot tale. Sabrina writes, hey, ladies, I would first like to say thank you for all that you do. I absolutely love listening to your show, and I hope to see you live someday. This Bigfoot encounter is told from the perspective of my dad. I'll also be emailing over some photos and videos he had taken. Sabrina's dad writes, It was June 2019. We were driving south on Highway 66 between Hardensburg, Indiana and Milltown, Indiana. It was about 6 o'clock in the morning. My wife was driving and I was putting directions in my phone. I looked up and noticed something very, very big on the side of the road. It looked to me like the mane or tail of a draft horse except it was about eight or nine feet tall. I asked my wife if something had just crossed the road, and she said yes. We were less than a 100 feet from whatever we were seeing when it stepped off the edge of the road and into the woods. It may have taken us about four or five seconds to reach where we had just seen it walk away, 
and I still wasn't registering what I had seen. As we were driving by the spot in the woods, I looked into the woods, expecting to see a very large draft horse. This seemed reasonable to me because we live near an Amish community, and we see these big horses in the fields all the time. Neither my wife or I saw anything in the woods at all as we drove by. As we were talking about what had just transpired, I realized that if it had been a large horse and I had seen the mane, then the rear end of the horse would have been in the middle of the road. I also know if a horse had walked into the woods, I know I would have seen it. They're not that fast. We were on our way to Evansville, Indiana, and discussed what we had seen for the entire two-hour trip. Again, I thought at first it was a very large horse, but as I thought more about it, it looked like the back end of what I thought could only be a very large Bigfoot that I would swear was eight or nine feet tall. What I saw appeared to be sideways to me, and I saw just a little bit of the back of the head, back, and part of its leg as it stepped into the woods. My wife was in the driver's seat, so she had a little better view from being closer to the middle of the road. She told me that she saw more of the head, shoulders, back, and legs. She was convinced she had seen a Sasquatch. We finally convinced ourselves that it had to be a Bigfoot and decided to go back the next day to look for footprints. We returned the following day and parked our car on the side of the road and in front of a house about 60 feet from where we had seen what we were sure was the Bigfoot. It did not take long at all to locate what looked like a distinct footprint that was about 19 inches long heel to toe and about 12 inches wide across the toes. We took pictures and video of the print and looked for any other prints or signs to confirm what we thought we had seen. As we were looking for further proof, we discussed going to the local hardware store to see if we could get the stuff to cast the print. The owner of the house that we parked in front of came out to tell us we were trespassing and wanted to know what it was we were doing there. I was very hesitant and embarrassed at first to tell him what had happened the day before. I finally just said to him, this is going to sound crazy, but we were driving past here yesterday morning and we were sure we had seen a Sasquatch cross the road and we found a footprint. The gentleman didn't even blink. He told us if we didn't leave now, he was going to call the cops. I wish now I had let him call the cops so I could have shown them the footprint and gotten their opinion. Instead, we just left. We have forever nicknamed it the Blue River Bigfoot since it was within a mile of Blue River where there's a kayak outfitter. I don't think it was someone playing a prank because we were in a very rural area that would have been hard to predict when someone would be driving by that early on a Saturday morning. Sabrina also adds, my dad described the Sasquatch as being grayish brown in color. There you have it. Hope you ladies enjoy it. P.S. Indianapolis is waiting for you. And so is Blue River. (laughs) What I love about this is that they were on the same page. It It wasn't one of them being like, I think we just saw a Sasquatch. And the other one like, that's ridiculous. Stop. They were both like, no. We're going back tomorrow. We're getting plaster. We're making a cast of this thing. That's a ride or die couple right there. I love yeah, it. That's Dojo love. It's also Blue River Bigfoot love. That's, that's a like, new one. Let's go hunt it. Blue River Bigfoot love is the new. Uh, it's it's Dojo Standard. love, but but a little different. It's more when like wacky. you got somebody that's on board with your wackiness. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, I love that the homeowner comes out and dad's like, oh, shit, I shouldn't tell him. And then it's like, well, I don't have any other excuse. Listen, man, we saw a Bigfoot. And the guy's like, get the hell out of here. <laughs> I do wish he would have waited for the police, though, just to be like, right? officer, listen. I I'm gonna also want to know if that guy 
the homeowner then went and looked in the woods for the same thing. Maybe he called or, the cops because he's been trying to catch himself a sky swatch this whole time and was like, you're not going to get this. This is my property. He was claiming it for himself. Mm-hmm. Or they have a Harry and the Henderson situation oh. and he had let his Bigfoot out and was like, don't be chasing my Bigfoot. That's, That's my it. Bigfoot. Yeah. He's like, he needs to go just like we have to let Petal out so she can root around. Bigfoots need time to root. They can't be cooped up all day. He had to go potty. So mm-hmm. he had to let him out and then he had to come back. You're like, don't go hunting out there. He's having free time. It's recess for Bigfoot. So leave <laughs> Bigfoot alone. outdoor time. Yeah, it's outdoor time. Bigfoot will come back home. Well, thank you very much, Sabrina. And send and, those uh, pics. I don't think Sab- we've we've got them. So you said you have pics and uh, a video. video. So please, yes, send, send all that to, to we'll, our Gmail. We'll post them on social media when you send them. If you, if you give us permission, only if you give us mm-hmm. permission. Well, thank you, Sabrina and Papa. And the next one is from Kay. The subject line is... Is there a murder afoot? This mystery doesn't fall flat. Let's get into it. My aunt and uncle live on the outskirts of a college town in a somewhat rural area in Michigan. They have about three acres, and their property backs up to a nature preserve, so their yard is basically wilderness. A few summers ago, my uncle was building a waterfall and koi pond in his backyard. He needed large boulders for his project and knew of one that was just laying around. As he described it, across his property line and in the middle of an open field within the nature preserve sat a perfect rock. I don't know exactly how large it was, but it was big enough that it took a tractor to move. My uncle described to me in detail how he got a rock bar under the boulder and then wedged it into the bucket of his bobcat to transport it back to the soon-to-be waterfall. After doing so, he went back out in the field, as he said, to stir the dirt around a little bit and make it look like nothing was ever there. When he returned to the spot, he found a patch of pressed earth, and in the center, flat as a pancake, was a woman's shoe. He's a pretty unshakable guy, but even he found this strange, so he marched back up the hill to get my badass aunt. She came out and was also surprised at the find. When I heard the story, I probed for more information about the shoe. What era was it from? Did it seem new or well-worn? What size was it? Unfortunately, my fashion unconscious relatives could only tell me that it was a dress shoe, meaning a pump, and that it was brown. What would a woman's high-heeled dress shoe be doing under a rock in the middle of a fucking field? Foul play seems almost certain. Unfortunately, when my uncle made the discovery, he didn't dig down further or call the authorities. Instead, not wanting to be caught for trespassing on the nature preserve, he tossed the shoe back shoveled some dirt on top of it, and left it underground to haunt my thoughts forever. I've attempted some research on missing women in the area, but I have no time frame or details to help me in my sleuthing. Perhaps one day I'll get out there myself to dig a little deeper. This story has circulated around my family many times because I refuse to let it go. My dad suggests that perhaps a raccoon found the shoe and dragged it under the rock. My mom thinks that the field was an old dump site and the shoe was garbage. While I love to imagine fabulous shoe-crazy raccoons, no explanation seems to make sense. What do I think? Murder. But I'd love to hear your take. Why would a woman's shoe be flattened under a huge rock in the middle of a field? It seems to me that the rock had to be placed on top of the shoe and that there could be more underneath. Thanks for creating an amazing podcast and putting out incredible shows week after week. 
Your kindness radiates through the airwaves and reminds me that there are good people in the world, even when it feels like the wheels are falling off. You were amazing friends throughout the pandemic, and I'm so glad I found your podcast. Keep it creepy. Well, it was a raccoon, and that's all there is to say. About- I like that raccoon is such a specific animal. Not an animal may have found this shoe and drug it. It was a raccoon. They have little hands. They little do. Paws, and they like hands. garbage and trash and stuff. Like They like to collect stuff. So It's true. My concern is if you needed a bobcat tractor to lift this rock... That shoe's been there a long time. If it's flattened all the way, yeah. yeah, for sure. So, and I also don't know how any animal would get under a rock because it's it's on the earth. You know what I mean? Like how unless, would you, like how would you shove it under the rock? Unless like a squirrel, like you tunnel under, you'd have to dig down. But I don't oh. think raccoons like tunnel or dig in mm-hmm. under. But it, it sounds like. But then again, then it would be buried in the dirt and not flattened on the earth, mm-hmm. like where it was put, and the rock was mushed on top of it. But see, that's why I'm hesitant to think there is something buried there because the shoe was on top of the ground. Yeah, I mean it's worth a look to see if there's any other debris around or something like that, and. You know, go get the shoe. Who knows? Your your uncle already touched it. It's not like it's. It sounds sacred. like uh, they might not know where it is, but if yeah, that's true. You got to go back to where that boulder was and get yourself one of those things that like scans. What's you know? They're probably several thousand dollars. To rent. Just get a radar. How ground penetrating radar? How deep do you want to go on this? Because you can probably you find out. But yeah, what are you yeah, willing you to spend? Or find, like, a community college or local college forensics department mm. and be like, hey, here's a fun thing y'all can do for funsies. Mm-hmm. Go out hunting. Pie, or you get yourself, like, a bunch of kids, which sounds Round them up. nefarious already. But, you know, kids you know, give them some shovels. Just say, hey, y'all want to play archaeology digger in the back, archaeologist, and then see what they unearth. Is it probably it could it maybe end in some trauma? Yeah. But do you want to know the answer to this? That's what you gotta ask yourself. Just say it's worth it and get a crisp five dollar bill. Tell the kids first one to unearth something. (laughs) You get this fiver. That's a good idea. Coming home with you, kiddos. Uh well, all of those are terrible ideas. (laughs) But if you find the shoe, let us know and uh we'll I don't know. We have no, we can't help. But no. I'm telling you, the forensics, the scientist is the way to go. Mm, I think so. Kids, thank you, Kay. Uh, the final one is from Caroline. And the subject line is that one time I was punched in the face by a murderer. Hey, y'all. Caroline here from South Louisiana. I would like to tell you about the one time I was punched in the face by a murderer. Back in my college days, there was a local bar that served underage folks. Naturally, my friends and I drank there from ages 18 to 21. My roommate and I were there almost five nights a week. Needless to say, I was comfortable. One night in 2010, after I had just turned 20 years old, I decided to leave early. I didn't think twice about walking to my car alone. After all, I parked just right across the street. As I started my short walk, I dialed up my boyfriend at the time to keep me company. Side note. Do y'all remember when that is what they advised us ladies to do when walking alone so we looked busy? Garbage advice. I noticed two men standing outside the car parked behind me, but I thought nothing of it. As I went to open my door, I realized the larger man was approaching me, but it was too late. He punched me in the face and somehow snatched my sling purse right off of me. I went down, but I didn't go out. 
I fell to the ground, and with my face covered in blood, the only thing I could think to shout was, What the fuck? What the fuck is happening? I'll never forget this moment, lying in the middle of the street with my face covered in blood and a man standing over me, fearing for my life and not knowing what he was going to do next. My assailant threw my cell phone at me and then hopped in a car and disappeared. I stumbled my way to the back door of the bar and into the arms of unsuspecting patrons. I had two black eyes for weeks, and one of them was completely swollen shut. After I was attacked, I never sought help. Mental health awareness wasn't really a thing people talked about at the time. I looked at it as an event that happened to me, and I never thought about it again, never once realizing that my anxiety, depression, and trust issues that followed had anything to do with this. It was too scary and painful to think about, so I just didn't. I didn't hear anything until over five years later. To make an incredibly long story short, it turns out my assailant had actually murdered a man only hours before he attacked me. He robbed a pizza delivery man and stabbed him to death. They were able to put together the surveillance videos of him leaving the murder scene and then seeing him in the same car at the Circle K where he used my debit card. I ended up testifying as a witness in 2017, where he was sentenced to life without parole. After testifying, I thought it was all over. But thanks to a new Louisiana law, he's going to have a new sentencing since the vote was not unanimous, 10 to 2. So I've been subpoenaed twice recently, but court keeps getting rescheduled. I continue to await another subpoena to testify yet again. As a 30-something-year-old, I'm just now going to therapy and unboxing all of my victim-blaming and survivor's guilt. I don't share this story very often, and not many folks know this about me. I wanted to reach out to y'all in particular, though. Not only am I a top-tier patron, humble brag, and love your content, but because you have inadvertently helped me on my journey of healing. Heather, you once told a story you used to tell your clients who fell victim to fraud. Fraud victims often blame themselves for falling for it, but you said that's not their fault because the snake's going to bite regardless of who's walking by. It's not your fault for getting bit. It's the snake's fault for being a snake or something like that. When I first listened to this, I literally broke down into tears. I still blame myself for walking alone, and it's difficult to switch mindsets from victim to survivor. But then I remember what Heather said, and I feel renewed. I have the right to walk by myself at night. I wasn't doing anything wrong. I just got bit by a snake. Thank you for the work you do and for reminding former victims, now survivors, that it's not our fault. I've incorporated Heather's analogy into my affirmations, and it's helping me reframe my trauma. Isn't it funny how one story can completely help someone see a different view? P.S. Shout out to my sister Catherine and my therapist Holly for always being there for me. Oof. Yeah, you definitely did nothing wrong. We've, like the very first story, we've all done that a million times. The people that did something wrong was the bar that served underage kids and, of course, the assailant. And I say that about the bar. We had places that served us as underage. But looking back now as an adult, it's incredibly irresponsible. And if something like this happens, you can easily be held liable and you lose your liquor license. I don't know when the law changed, but I believe when I lived in Louisiana in 2007, it may have either just changed or was about to. You could drink at age 18 with a college ID. At some really? Bars. Yeah. So it might have been like the very final years of that or months of that. But I do remember there was 
I did not need a fake ID for some places, but other places I did. It might have been that it had just changed. Well, not, this is 2010. Yeah. So, so I, I, by this time, I think it was they were God, just letting people in. That's, um, I don't know. I, I I don't even know. 18, 21. Who knows? It's all it's all weird. Uh, to be that young and that you know consuming that much. Yeah, and, I mean, yeah. alcohol in general is weird to me that it's a legal thing. Yeah. But I mean, I'm not saying it shouldn't be. I'm not saying we got to go back to prohibition, but it's just it always makes me be like, I can't believe we're just are bringing people drinks at these bars. And then we're like, all right, see you all later. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Yeah, it's definitely uh, that's why it's heavily regulated. Mm-hmm. As for his case uh, being thrown out and new trial was vacated, there was a Supreme Court case called Ramos versus Louisiana that ruled that the Sixth Amendment requires guilty verdicts for criminal trials to be unanimous. So if the assailant in this case was convicted on a 10 to 2 vote, then Louisiana actually passed a constitutional amendment. So the Sixth Amendment says you get a trial and any rules on trials is left up to the states. But this Supreme Court case recently said it does have to be unanimous. And so Louisiana, in connection, it was actually right before this case came out in the Supreme Court, Louisiana passed their own constitutional amendment, and he was able to appeal. I looked up his appeal. She sent me. Uh, initially, he tried to appeal on some errors, saying, you know, they shouldn't have allowed Caroline's testimony in about the punching. He had attacked two or three other people. Those folks were allowed to testify. And it his the defendant's argument was, oh, you're letting all this information in about me punching these women and stealing their purses just to prove I'm a bad person. And the prosecution said, no, it actually helps establish a timeline that mm-hmm. you hit this woman, you stole her debit card, and you're now in the same car that was seen leaving the victim the, that he stabbed the pizza delivery guy. We saw you later that night in the same car, same outfit, mm-hmm. you know. So it, it was actually it all. I imagine the jury probably thought, well. You know, they didn't feel too bad whenever they convicted him. I don't know what the two holdouts were, but it sounds like now because of this Supreme Court case and the Louisiana Constitutional Amendment, Caroline, you will likely have to testify again because he gets a new trial is what I found when I looked up uh, his second appeal, the one that wasn't based on any errors, but was simply based on, hey, the Supreme Court said everybody gets uh, everybody deserves a unanimous verdict. I didn't get one. I get a do over. And the Mm -hmm. Third Circuit Court of Appeal said we agree. Well, Caroline... I'm sure that's not something you're looking forward to. Like anyone, when they have to do this, you kind of worry about getting re-victimized all over again and having to just dredge it up and go through it all. But I think you're doing the right thing by going to counseling and reframing the trauma. And I'm so glad that Heather's advice helped you with that and your sister and your therapist and everything. I'm glad you have a really good support group because that's horrifying. And I have walked by myself to my car in areas both that I think were fine and both that I shouldn't. I'm like, yeah, this probably isn't the best place for me to be walking all the time. We all do it all the time. You did nothing wrong. So I'm glad that you're now able to to start seeing that. And she had another question, too, about some documents, I believe, that she didn't understand. Oh, okay. So thank you so much for sending that in because just like Heather's words helped you, I imagine that your words and your story and being vulnerable and willing to share that will help others as well. We hear a lot from Freaky Friday stuff, people emailing in, oh, I just heard this and it reminded me of this story. So 
I think a lot of times we like suppress stuff Mm -hmm. and it doesn't even track as this was fucked up until we hear it happens to someone else and then it kind of unlocks a memory. And I think, too, we're kind of all, well, no one wants to hear that. It's just a story Mm -hmm. that happened to me. Well, we want to hear it and we're happy Mm -hmm. to share it. And especially if writing it out helps you, if getting that connection that maybe other people have gone through something similar, if that helps you as well. I mean, that's why we like to do this is because we like to hear people's stories and also then share those. And I think Caroline as exactly what Christy said. You're doing the right thing, finding reframing it and finding healing. And I will reiterate, you did nothing wrong. The amount of times Mm -hmm. I walked in new Orleans by myself to, to and from bars and places, the times I walked around Chicago, Dallas, et cetera. So I am, uh, I'm not immune from doing that. And it's one of those like, There's sometimes you go for a jog and you get Mm -hmm. stung by a wasp and sometimes you don't. And you're not asking for it when you do. It's just a victim of circumstance. So if you can muster the strength to testify, I think your testimony is uh, relevant, impactful, important, and will hopefully help the pizza delivery gentleman, you know, his family. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm sure that's such upheaval that they thought they had this closure that this happened to them and now because of a sort of you know and we want that they're right they're re-victimized too you're all re-victimized and we do want that right you want to be sure the argument against the ununanimous uh non-unanimous uh vote from a jury was you know it's a, a relic of a more racialized times where if you had a majority white jury with especially in the deep south and you had a black defendant and you had only one or two black jurors it was kind of like well tough majority yeah. rules and so there's some something to be said about the unanimity i will say reviewing the appeals document you sent i think that the prosecution has a, an airtight case i think they basically just need to follow the same blueprint that they did before and that includes the importance of your and the other living victim survivors testimony and like mm-hmm. i love that you framed it from former victim now survivor and mm-hmm. so having the survivors kind of band together and go you're not going to you're not getting off that easy, sir. We're coming. Yeah. So. For sure. Good for you. Yes. Proud of you for sure. And thank you so much for sharing your story. And thanks to everyone for sharing their stories. If you have an odd but true story, maybe you've encountered Bigfoot. We're looking for the whole body, you guys. Not just the backside. We want the whole body. Specifically, if you've been through in central Indiana and you've been around the Blue River Bigfoot, we want Sabrina's dad and mom need, they need this corroboration for their story. We need a group. We're trying to form a group here. Yeah. If you've seen a UFO, you had a brush with true crime, or you've felt the presence of an otherworldly being, send them in at sinisterhood.com slash freaky Friday. We love providing Sinisterhood to you at no cost, so if you like what you hear, consider supporting this show by donating to our Patreon. We're a small operation, creating the show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the cost of making and hosting the show. As a thank you, you'll also get some sweet perks like ad-free episodes, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those in the Rolling the Airwaves getting into it tier, a special shout-out on the show, a monthly bonus mini-sode in July. It's going to be on the uh, many controversies surrounding Ezra Miller, and patron-exclusive video and audio content, including Am I the Asshole, Relationship Advice, Judge Christie, Dear Sinister, True Crime Headlines, Off My Chest, and so much more. 
You also have the fun perk of access to our Discord server, where you can connect with other fans in real time and discuss the latest in true crime, share personal ghost stories, or just post adorable pictures of your pets. We hop on occasionally, and we host monthly Q&As on Crowdcast, where you can ask us all your burning questions. Boy, howdy, was this last one a good time. Both the Q&A and the live stream, and we had a special guest on the live stream, which made it extra fun. If you were ever like, what is it like to sit around with Christy <laughs> and Heather after a show, like after we perform on stage, when mm-hmm. people are like, what do you do after the show? Do you want to go grab a drink? If you are on the the getting into it tier and the am I the asshole, sometimes we just get on the internet and look at stuff <laughs> and talk about it and... Have a good time. If you know what I mean, you'll see it when you check it out. But we have Leanne in studio with us right now. Mm -hmm. The skeleton Rodney is sitting in her chair in Mm -hmm. the director's chair from my high school days, which I failed to mention on the stream. But someone mentioned Leanne's laugh really just brought it home. And I was like, she has a great laugh. She has a great laugh. Uh, She's a joy to be around. I was going back and finding um, screenshots. Someone to share it on social media. And there's a time where we're all just like dying laughing. And it's because you said something. So, I don't even remember what it was. I was telling a mortifying story of a person that I dated, oh. and you said, I just would never let a person like that touch me, and it was so fucking funny. Yeah, I do remember that now. It came out right. way harsher than I did. But it was so true, and then the more, each more detail I dropped, you kept going, oh, no, oh, Heather, no, oh, no, and you kept screaming. It was so funny. It was a good time. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, so if you you subscribe at the Getting Into It tier, that is on demand, as well as all of our past stuff is on demand. And you get to vote on future episodes, and you get to vote on what the August live stream is going to be. Mm-hmm. And I bet we can uh, twist our arm and convince Leanne to be I in, bet we in can. that one as well. Mm-hmm. For our patrons not in the U.S., you have the option to pay in pounds or euros, saving you the cost of the conversion fee. Annual memberships for all tiers are also now available, and those that select this option will be rewarded with a free month of membership. For more details on all of this and specific member tiers, visit Sinisterhood.com and click Patreon on the top banner. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. You want to get some cool Sinisterhood swag like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos? Visit Sinisterhood.com and click on Shop on the top banner. The best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. It means so much to us and really helps podcasts like us get more exposure. You can also click the top three dots on any episode and share that. We've also created a website called Sinisterhood.com slash playlists with an S on it. And on there, you can catch any kind of topic you want. We have the best of comedy, true crime episodes. We have a whole Freaky Friday playlist. So we've organized Spotify playlists. So if you have a friend and you're like, oh, you got to check out these Freaky Fridays, do them a favor. You can send them a playlist and that's they can binge all of one type. If they're like, man, I want to listen to some cryptid episodes. Got you. Sinisterhood.com slash playlists. It's plural. Mm-hmm. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod and like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. We're also on TikTok and YouTube. Christy, where are you at on the internet? I'm on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace and on TikTok and Twitter at Christy or GTFO. Heather? I am on Twitter at MCK versus the world and I'm on Instagram and TikTok at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Sinister Hood